0: Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hatchesat, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, Ben and I just talk about a bunch of cool cars that we've driven recently. And, uh, you know, you can find Ben's work all over the Internet. So I'm going to ask him to plug a couple of the publications that he's recently written for. Go for it, Ben.
1: You can find my work at Inside Hook, at Driving Line, and at Business Insider.
0: Very cool. Uh, two, two publications with the word inside there. Yeah, it's
1: kind of, it's a contractual thing. I don't have <laughs> much control over it. but uh,
0: And you can find my work at autotrader.ca as well as Nouveau Magazine. Uh, ben, this week we we're talking about some luxury cars, pretty high-end vehicles. And I'm going to ask you to take it away because you've driven a new Cadillac XT6. Isn't that right?
1: Yes, and Sammy, if, if memory serves, this is not a vehicle that you enjoyed driving.
0: That's, that Your memory is in perfect function um, if you remember that. I really did not enjoy my time with the XT6. I thought um, it had the potential to be, I think Cadillacs always have potential to be better than what they end up delivering. And that's how I felt again with the XT6.
1: So for those who aren't familiar with the admittedly confusing naming structure over at Cadillac these days, the, the XT6 is a three row, I guess, midsize uh, SUV, Sammy?
0: Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. I I think midsize. I'm not sure because I think you can get it with the third row, right? Yeah,
1: it is a third. Well, I mean, I think they all have a third row, and uh, it's it's a little bit bigger than the XT5, as the numerals might indicate. But
0: it's it's. No, design- so that means the XT5 is the midsize. This is the three. It's just a three row. I don't it, know what other name. No man- What do they have? Another name for those?
1: Ultimately, it's not important. But the <laughs> if, if you're shopping in this segment for a three row premium luxury uh whatever you'll be looking at <laughs>
0: so you just don't the market segment yeah. now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you'll be looking at you'll be looking at the x c six you'll probably be looking at the the lincoln uh the aviator sammy which we we yep. liked talking about this summer uh yeah. also the Acura m d x and mm-hmm. the somewhat strange three row version of the um alexis r x
0: right And I think you can even push it sometimes to – if you've got more money to spend – uh, the, the German brands, like the Audi Q7 or something like that.
1: Yeah, well, you know, a little bit more money to spend is an interesting way to put it because this is a vehicle that starts around $50,000. Which is a reasonable amount of money, I think, right? It, it, it is, but if you go crazy on the option sheet and get a very nicely equipped model like the one I drove, you're up at seventy one, seventy two thousand. So you can definitely spend Audi money on this vehicle, which is, I don't think, something you should do.
0: But <laughs> you shouldn't be proud of that. Well... <laughs> I spent Audi money on on my Cadillac.
1: Because I think that the, the XT6 makes sense uh, at a certain price point and for a very specific use case. And then once you kind of get above that, you're probably going to want to look elsewhere. But the things I liked about this truck is the styling is pretty cool. Uh, I had kind of a green, gray, bronze color. It's hard to describe. But the way it revealed, you did an admiral. You did a pretty admiral. (laughs) All I did was like list three colors, (laughs) and then I rely on the imagination of the listener. Yeah, which is, I guess, how designers do it all the time. But uh, the color I had really kind of revealed the from the front. It has a whole bunch of neat angles and curves on the front Mm -hmm. fascia. It's it's really neat. Uh, I said neat three times now. I'm and, uh, the Neat
0: Meter is going up this week. The
1: Neat Meter is through the roof. It's, it's very reminiscent of other Cadillacs. You look at it, you know it's a Cadillac, which is nice yeah. because this is a, a platform, you know, it can be really anonymous, this size of SUV. It's very easy to just make it kind of an amorphous blob. And then you're oh, yeah. kind of like, eh, I'm not sure what I'm driving anymore. You know, you get lost in the parking lot trying to find it at the mall. That kind of thing. Uh, I think that the Lincoln Aviator avoids that for the most part. Uh, the MDX2, the R R R R. why can't I say it? The RX from Lexus is probably the most guilty, although the front end is pretty dis- distinctive these days. Um, yeah. But uh, once you're inside the Cadillac, that kind of experience dissipates, Sammy.
0: You feel like uh, the uniqueness, the uniqueness in the styling um, that Cadillac has kind of like developed here. The that has that's fading away.
1: Yeah, I I don't dislike the feature set inside the car, like uh, the infotainment. It was it's it's the current version of Q. It's not mm. that bad to use. For the most part, I didn't really have any problems or any kind of hang-ups with it. Uh, the seats are comfortable. Everything looks good, and it looks premium, but it doesn't really live up to the impressions set by the outside of the vehicle. It right. kind of just feels like another nice crossover, and it doesn't feel like a $70,000 crossover. So that's really where I one of the main points for me that trips me up if you talk about spending big money on an XT6.
0: I think maybe we've taken Cadillac's exterior design for granted. I think that they they are really um, attractive-looking vehicles for the most part, and uh, that like lives up to the brand name. I think that's an important part of the the whole identity of of Cadillac is their exterior design. But you're right. I I imagine that the interior uh, doesn't live up to the expectation of the exterior sort of like uh, presentation. And the
1: other thing that doesn't really live up to any kind of expectations is the driving experience. And Uh I, I want to qualify that by saying there's nothing wrong with it. It's just completely normal. It's a very, very acceptable, comfortable, as you would expect from a vehicle this size kind of ride. But there's nothing about it that really stands out. It's neither... Uh, more comfortable than anything else i've driven recently or sportier than anything i've driven recently it it has the it's a front-wheel drive platform that has an all-wheel drive system that you can turn on and off so you can either you can keep it in front-wheel drive mode if you go to sport it's it's all-wheel drive by default if you go to all-wheel drive mode i think it's called i can't remember the exact name it's also all-wheel drive but just with a kind of a reduced throttle sensitivity that it doesn't have the same kind of jumpiness as you would have in sport right um
0: We discussed this a little bit with the uh, even the like Cadillac. I mean, not Cadillac. GM seems to really like making all-wheel drive vehicles not operate in all-wheel drive mode, right? Yeah, this is their jam. They're like, "Uh we'll let them choose. I'm I'm sure
1: it's. I'm sure it's a fuel mileage thing. I mean, this vehicle it comes with a 310 horsepower V6. Uh, you can get a front-wheel drive version if you want. It has a nine-speed automatic transmission. There's a sport version of the vehicle as well that I haven't driven. The version I had was like the premium luxury uh, version of the vehicle. I don't see any reason to get a sport version of this. It's a large, somewhat heavy vehicle. You're, you're not going to be having any fun driving it. That's not really what it's for. Right. Um, it's It's to haul five people and occasionally a couple kids in the back. And if you fold all the seats down, you get decent cargo. I mean, it's... We were talking a couple shows ago about how in the compact segment and subcompact segment of SUVs, it's really hard to tell vehicles apart. And it's it's hard to distinguish them based on their price point and their size. Everything's just kind of merging together into this utility blob. And I think that in the luxury segment, when you talk about um, three rows and it's not from Germany, you really kind of get into the same situation. So,
0: yeah,
1: I mean, Um, for me... The XC6 is attractive, front and rear, from the side. It's fine. Inside, it's reasonably premium. It'll get you and your kids where where they need to go. It's quiet. It's comfortable. If you stick with, like an under $60,000 version and you absolutely have to have a luxury crossover, then yeah, it's, it's not a bad vehicle to test drive, but I don't think there's anything about it that stands out. Kind of a missed opportunity for Cadillac because the Escalade is so popular and this is going to be the next thing people look at if they either can't afford the Escalade or they want something that's just a little less brash. And right. they, they really could have made something, I think, that captures the Escalade spirit in a smaller size. Or maybe they realized they didn't want to go for the same customer with two options. I don't know, Sammy. What do you think?
0: Um, I, think that's, that's, um, I think that really identifies what's wrong with Cadillac's um, portfolio here. The Escalade is a very, is a very good car um, and a vehicle that – or was a very good car. Now I think it's kind of getting um, – like we need to drive the new one. That's essentially what I'm saying. Um, But it promises a pretty good um, package. The XT6 doesn't promise anything other than it looking like a pretty nice looking um, crossover. But when you drive it, um, the fact that you describe it kind of as not having a really distinct driving personality um, means that it it feels like an appliance. And if you really like... You don't want a pre- you don't want a premium vehicle to feel too much like an appliance. No, Although, but it's, it's hard I'm to sure,
1: avoid in this in, in, when you're looking at three row crossovers because that's essentially what they are. They're, they're not drivers' well, vehicles, mm-hmm. and at this price point, they're not going to be luxury statements. So, like, where does that leave you? It's, is, is it like a really really nice appliance, like a like a high end, well designed appliance that you keep as an heirloom and give to your grandkids? Like, is that <laughs> What you're going for is that the ultimate goal of a three-row luxury crossover?
0: I don't think so, but I mean, I I, do, I will say that the Lexus the Lexus product, the RX and the RXL, those are appliances, man. Um, and the their statement that they can make, if you get the right model, is that you can get one as a hybrid, um, and that might be the the saving grace. In fact, almost all of the vehicles that you mentioned can be had with an, with a hybrid: the MDX, the RX, and the Lincoln. Uh, aviator can be had with a plug-in hybrid with a ton of power. And that's where you get that, like, exciting, this is the reason I bought the car, this is why it's exciting, this is why it's interesting. Boom, I, I showed you it. The XT6 doesn't have that factor that sets it apart from these other vehicles. Even if it did have a hybrid option, I don't even know if that would be enough, right? Like, now that's kind of expected with this class of car. Um, and that's a problem. I, it, I truly think you want something that you can point to and said, I got the Cadillac because of this. And that doesn't the XT6 doesn't have that. so no,
1: and I think that ultimately the reason you might end up with the Cadillac is because of rebates and incentives. I think yeah, that totally. that's that's why you and that that'll be your reason for pointing it. I went to look at Alexis, but ultimately I got15,000 dollars off the hood on this XT6, and that's why I drove it home. I yeah. don't know if that's where you want to be as a luxury brand, but that's kind of the reality for a lot of GM products, and uh, that that could be the the strongest factor driving people to come home from the showroom in a Cadillac.
0: I will say if I got $15,000 off of a cat, I mean, you said the car as equipped with $77,000. If I got a $77,000 for $15 less, that'd be great. What is that? What is that? 50? Yeah, you'd end up around 55,000. That would be great. Um, I think that's a a worthy thing. And I I guess, you know, just even if it doesn't have that whiz bang feature or something that that stands out, the fact is you've saved a good chunk of money in, in your bank account, which is nice.
1: So that kind of sums up my feelings on the uh, XC6. Sammy, uh, I think that you drove something that's maybe a little more premium than the premium I was talking about.
0: I'm actually um, not 100% sure how to describe – well, I'm going to give it – sorry. I will give it my best go because I drove a product that has um, been recently introduced into the, into the automotive industry. This is a Polestar 2. So I'm going to tell you now, Polestar is the name of the brand – and two, which is a number, is the name of the product, the model, which is a little bit confusing uh, because whenever you say point to somebody like, ah, I've got the two. Yeah, you say uh, I drive
1: a two. Like, is that? Yeah. it's like a dirschwo, like from uh, from, uh, from Citroen all, all all those years ago.
0: Um. So at least um. At least when it comes, and so I will bring up uh, Tesla a couple of times because uh, Polestar is meant to be a complete electrified. Um, brand, their first product, the Polestar One, pro- properly named, was a limited production plug-in hybrid vehicle um, that was extremely expensive and built in low in low numbers, mainly because it used a lot of carbon fiber. And that approach, that what they did with that um, approach is they showed the world that they're not messing around, that they have the resources to play with um, and to compete with the like the serious players in this in this industry it's not easy to just get a bunch of carbon fiber and and make a a product that isn't completely janky um and they managed to somehow pull it off so now that they've gotten people's attention with that it's time that they make something a little bit more um every man focused or every woman or every person mainstream i guess is the best word to say it uh and that's what the Polestar 2 is however i struggle to even classify what body style of vehicle this is. Just like you struggle with the XT6, I can't quite place this product as by calling it a compact or a crossover or something like that because it has this like sedan-like proportion, but um it features like body cladding on the on the wheel wells and a huge 20-inch wheels with low-profile tires that like make it seem kind of like a performance car as well. So it's Put together in this like kind of mishmashy way in terms of the the styling but you know what people looked at it and they like hey that's kind of cool um so i won't i won't criticize it for that i just said i don't know what kind of vehicle it really is it's an electric car and it i guess can be called a crossover sedan is that a possible thing you can know, i call it
1: that the other thing when i when i hear you describe it and you talk about having 20 inch low profile tires all I can think of is how, you know, early electric vehicles and hybrids all came with low rolling resistance tires and they were small mm-hmm. because he, the idea was efficiency and to get as much yep. range out of the battery pack as possible. And, and I feel like this is a class of vehicle where they kind of thrown that in the garbage.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I will admit um, there are some interesting ideas going on here and, and I'll go out right the right off the bat. The vehicle that I had was equipped with what was known as a performance package, which is why it has these 20-inch wheels. And you'll also notice that it has some other uh, standout features, including these golden um, Brambo brake calipers. There's also golden valve stems on the tires. Um, and those 20-inch wheels with... Who, who uh, looks at con- their
1: valve stems? You know, the other day I yeah. looked at the valve stems on the Datsun, and I realized they had, like, three None different... You had no, no cover? I had three different valve stem styles across four different wheels. Like that.
0: So, how long have you had the car for? Four years. Yeah, and now you just noticed. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's it's just it's and, and it's funny because I I had some flat spotted tires and I went to get new tires put on. I I would say in August and I brought it to this. I, I take the the wheels and tires off at, in my own garage and it's just easier to bring them. You know how I like to haul tires for you, Sammy. Yeah. And so I I brought them to the local shop and they call. I, I dropped them off and they called me and they're like, "Hey, we just want to let you know one of your valve stems broke." And uh, we're going to replace it with a different valve stem, but it's not going to look the same. It's going to gonna have a different style on it. And I'm like, those tires have an expected life of maybe like two months. <laughs> like, I don't care what the – I'm going to be back soon and I don't care what the valve stem. But it, it just made me think that there must be some customer out there who like got his car back and was like, wait a minute. What kind of crap are you trying to pull here with these valve stems, you know?
0: yeah and well, haven't you seen those valve stem caps that are like green to n- to note that they have uh nitrogen in them so, or something like that? yes, but
1: i I've come to realize that that just doesn't mean that anymore <laughs> because I think if you didn't know that it meant it had nitrogen, then the next time you filled up, you didn't put nitrogen in so yeah, exactly. and then like the second and third owner doesn't know, so you end up with this like legacy of green caps that are essentially now meaningless,
0: yeah. Now the problem here is that you've taken me off uh, off my train of thought, so I don't even know what to tell you about this Polestar. It has um, it has a ton of batteries. Basically, anywhere they could fit a battery in this vehicle, they put it, um, which is cool. Which is why it has a 78 watt kilowatt hour uh, battery, and it packs two motors, one at each axle, which are identical in output. So they're two each is 204 horsepower. So as a total, you've got 408. Um, horsepower, and then 487 pound-feet of torque or something like that, which leads this car the two, two very important statistics. One, it weighs 2.1 tons. It weighs 4,680 pounds, I think. So like, like a Hellcat. That's, that's our standard four, of measurement on the show. 80, if, okay. you're just,
1: if you're just tuning in, Charger Hellcat is, is when we talk about electric vehicles, it's, it's really kind of the rallying point for the, for the mass of that model.
0: 4680, 4680 pounds. That's That's
1: 1,000 pounds more than my Cadillac and I think 200 pounds more than my Jeep.
0: (laughs) So that's a heavy vehicle. But um, because of all that uh, electric uh, horsepower, it can do zero to 60 in 4. point. I'm going to say four seconds. I'm going to make sure that that number is right, but about four and a half seconds, which is wild. That's very fast. Um, and I think that's something that needs to be pointed out. Despite all of these like – you know, I used to think that um, efficiency called for lightweight, v- lightweight vehicles. The less weight you have to move around, um, the better uh, – the, the longer range you'll have. That's just, that
1: just that's just physics.
0: Yeah. Apparently, I got that wrong because if you just uh, admit, turn all of your uh, av- available space into batteries, then you're going to have <laughs> That's – that's how you get range. I mean well, obviously we should have thought about this.
1: Do you remember I want to say it was in the early 2010s that Volvo made a version of the S60 that was a hybrid or or an EV and they put the battery panels inside the doors. They made yeah. like the they made them integral to the door itself. So that was their way of like trying to integrate batteries into like, because it's basically just a cavity right inside a door. Mm -hmm. And I assume that the doors hinge was upgraded to deal with the extra weight. And you probably didn't notice
0: (laughs) elevator door hinges or something like that. (laughs) Well, there are no hinges on elevator doors. Oh, well. Um, So it's, it's a fast vehicle. It's got a ton of range. Um, The range that we are expecting um, I need to figure this out because I have it in kilometers, and that might not translate well for our, all of our listeners. So let's – Ben, let's figure out this together. Doo, 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 doo. I wish Did I was have... in
1: the same room as you looking at whatever you're looking at because it's just as awkward for me to hear you say these things.
0: <laughs> Why do you do this to me? <laughs> um, the the there's, there's something called the World – what is it called? The WLTP, the World – loop testing procedure um has rated at 290 miles the problem is that that testing procedure is extremely generous and i would say you could It's mostly downhill
1: testing. right like it starts at the top of <laughs> yeah. a very high mountain
0: i, I, I 200, I, I, 200 I, I, in, a
1: 200 mile mountain
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then when it reaches the bottom they're like hey it could have gone a little bit further <laughs> um I, I agree with you. How can a test loop be generous, right? Um, because so- I
1: think that you know, a test loop ostensibly includes activities that represent what normal driving represents, which means for most people, a lot of stop and go. And mm-hmm. you have to also track the speed that most people are driving. So if you live in Europe and you have access to an unrestricted highway system, you're going to be driving faster than someone who's you know, maybe on a rural two lane and they can only go four, 40 miles an hour or they're in traffic all the time and they're doing like five miles an hour.
0: Do you think that really works though, especially with an electric vehicle? I'm not sure like stop and go impacts uh, the range of an electric vehicle all it, that much. It would because it's
1: it's harder to accelerate a mass than it is to keep a mass in motion. So Even if you're with those
0: electric motors,
1: well, physics is physics. It doesn't I mean you could be using a horse and it's still harder for the horse. You know what I mean? Like it's it's uh, the you're the, you're you're your overcoming inertia to get to a certain speed. And then once you get to that certain speed, you can maintain that speed using less fuel. That's, that's how cruise control works, right? Like cruise right. control is essentially allows you to avoid um, accelerating and decelerating on the highway erratically. Um, it doesn't always work very well, especially if you live in a mountainous region. But the idea is to avoid those changes in state. So for an ex- electric vehicle, it's the same kind of deal. If, if you were to accelerate off the line, uh, on and off for ten miles versus steady state driving for that same distance, you would use more energy.
0: So um, I would say that the the expected range, I mean, it, that we can expect in in North America or in, after the EPA gets their hands on this vehicle, is something north, uh, something between two hundred two hundred fifty uh, miles. I think so like almost
1: expensive. every other luxury yeah. EV on the market that's not a Tesla.
0: Right. Exactly. Um, and I, I, I'm. I had a really fun time with it. I mean, I, I think this is something that uh, I wasn't expecting. I was driving the vehicle, um, and I ended up taking it on almost every drive loop I have in my, in my like, neck of the woods. I, I, I took it everywhere. And when I returned it back to, the, to, the, to Polestar, it had, like, no range left. And I was like, here you go. Have fun. <laughs> um, and it was cool. It was surprisingly quick. It was pretty engaging. Um, it was a very high-tech um, experience. And the interior is, uh, is, is built with a really uh, different kind of focus. I mean, I think we've said that before when it comes to the interiors of uh, vehicles within the Volvo brand or v- Volvo vehicles in, in general, is that they tend to have a very minimalist, focused, yet stylish um, cabin. And I think this car has that. Uh, one of the most important parts of this vehicle is the giant infotainment screen. It's a, uh, I think, 11-inch touchscreen. Which doesn't use Volvo's uh, Sense,
1: Census, yes,
0: uh, in, in, operating system, which I think is a good is a good thing because we you and I have both said that Census, while really quick and responsive, has a few too many design hiccups in terms of the size of its um, icons and the and the re- re- reliance on like swiping gestures and stuff like that that are hard to do while driving this vehicle instead uses an android operating system so just like your 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 smartphone or your tablet um, it uses an android backend for its entire operation so it feels really familiar in that sense and it uh, is very responsive it also has its own it actually has integration with google uh, so you can log into your Google account on there. you can transfer all of your contacts and your and your um, map information on on there. Uh, the vehicle has built in google nap, uh, Google Maps so you don 't have to use Android auto or you don 't have to use the built in um, navigation system and if you 've ever used like seriously the automaker like included or in automaker integrated map systems. After you've been using Google Maps on your smartphone or, or on your browser for so many times, like, those things feel ancient. Like, well, I, I, I can't be the only person who thinks
1: this. I use Waze because it tells me where the police are. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, if, if an automaker system could do that, I would use the automaker system.
0: Okay, fine. Um, and in addition to that, this also has the uh, Hey Google uh, integration and can operate uh, various functions of your vehicle with that uh, keyword. So you can use, you can tell, "Hey Google, change the uh, cavern temperature to um, make it colder" or "roll down the windows." You say or, cavern
1: uh, temperature or cabin temperature? Ca-
0: ca- I, th- I did say cabin, but um, if you had a um, a cavern with some Google HomeKit uh, features, you can even use it that way. You can kind of like uh, a Google Home it and say turn the cabin temperature cavern temperature could man.
1: could the cavern control also ignite my bonfire and roast my saber tooth tiger before i get back from the the tar
0: pit yeah of course i don't see why not okay um so that was um that was an interesting part of the the whole experience is, is getting up to speed with this infotainment system um and i was pretty okay with it i think that's because I currently use some Android devices. I have Android tablets. I have an Amazon Fire tab um like e reader, which Humble is also, brag. which is also built on Android. I have one of those um like Google assistants at home. Um so I'm I'm really comfortable with that ecosystem. I'm worried that Apple uh, users of an uh, of an iPhone or an iPad will come into this thing and, and instantly be turned off because it's not what they're used to and it's almost pushing the opposite um experience onto them
1: i guess and, but if you if you use an if you use an iphone all the time you don't really know what android looks like so you're not going to make
0: that connection maybe but sometimes there's like this like the moment it says you know say hey google to to operate this function the, i think some people will be like oh it's one of those and they're gonna they're gonna check out so and at, the, at currently apple carplay introduce uh Support hasn't been included in, in the vehicle. So, saying if you're later. an
1: extreme Apple fanboy, you need to not buy the Polestar two. <laughs>
0: yeah, I guess so. All but right. I also don't know what other car they're going to be into, right? Nothing. They
1: won't be happy with anything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I guess we need to talk about, you know how this car rides well, like the, the 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 performance characteristics of it uh as i said i found it to be pretty uh, entertaining to drive which i think will make the car bo- it'll bode well for anybody who's looking to buy a sort of luxury sport uh sedan or crossover uh, i think this, this this delivers more or less the same experience um the it as i mentioned performance package it has these great continental sport contact six they're amazing tires are, are continental um, a
1: sponsor of the show sammy no, okay.
0: should they be? I'm just curious. Have many times have we mentioned Continental?
1: I'm just, I'm just curious. It, there was no intent in that, in that question.
0: I think we should have segments on our podcast, and every once in a while, we should have like the segment. It's like, are they a sponsor? And we have to <laughs> basically say no to every potential idea of a sponsor. Definitely um, not a
1: Hellcat sponsor.
0: <laughs> um, in addition, I think you and I have talked about Polestar engineered. Um, Enhanced versions of Volvo vehicles, which use these Olin dsv dampers. You, know, you say Olin? About, is that how it's said? I I think O Olin's or Olin. I don't know. So I say it Olin because it makes me think of Odin, which is like a, a Norse
1: god, right? So it's like oh okay. it's Sweden, so it's Odin. But Olin sounds far more plausible. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so these Olin or Olin, uh suspension um are adjustable but the downside is that they're manually adjustable which doesn't mean that you have to like every time you get in you have to press a button no you have to actually lift the hood or get underneath the vehicle and and adjust the suspension using some tools which is really cool hands-on hands-on-y uh some people like having that extra connection to Yeah, how much does this
1: car cost sammy
0: um, I need to check the U.S. pricing because I only have the Canadian pricing right now. So you can t- you can say that I was more or less uh, unprepared for the podcast. As is usual. it is it
1: is it above six figures? <laughs> um, no. Okay.
0: No, it's it's definitely under a hundred thousand dollars.
1: So yeah, I don't think I should be chained. Like, I have cars with adjustable manuals suspension, and um, no thank you. If I'm spending just under a hundred thousand dollars too,
0: <laughs> it's actually closer to sixty thousand dollars. So even still. Not-
1: even still, I can't think of another car in the market that isn't a hardcore sports car that asks you to do that. And this is not a hardcore sports car. Right. So you, this is an unreasonable ask, and Volvo keeps making the ask. So
0: no thank you. So when pressed about this, they, they said two things to us. They said um, there are two, there are two uh, reasons, um, and they are um, weight and energy. But this is the reason they don't have an automatic um, um, so, uh, adjustable suspension. So, didn't,
1: didn't they say to you, though, didn't they say that they expect most of these to be set at the factory once or at the dealership at once? At the
0: dealership once and then be left alone. So, so ours, how ours about you set, just set it when yeah. it
1: comes off the line and then no one ever has to worry about it?
0: I agree with this. Um, and ours was set at the midway point of both of these. There's 22 settings. Um, 22 I settings. Were, uh, yeah. 22 clicks, they say. Um, and I thought, I thought that would mean um, that midway would be 11 out of 22, but it turns out that they were set up at 12 in the front and 14 in the back, so not exactly halfway. No, but they
1: probably <laughs> want a little bit more oversteer in the in how it feels, just so it feels a little bit sportier.
0: So I will say the car rides very firm. It's not crashy, it's not too stiff, but it is firm. It makes you know that you can feel the ground underneath you uh, and the type of surface that you're riding on, and the car feels really engaging. I personally think, especially, um, I think the cities that you and I live in, are like uh, like construction is a plague. Like it is, it ruins our streets. Our cities are always uncomfortable to drive in. Sometimes, especially with vehicles with uh, low profile tires, like twenty inch rims, it's insane. You, you, I I can't be crazy when I'm saying this, right?
1: I I'm not going to comment on whether you're crazy or not. I've okay. learned my lesson.
0: But uh, so I was saying I was I would recommend an even softer setup uh, if you live in in a city with that sees a lot of a lot of construction or or potholes or um, especially potholes caused by poor weather. So uh, I was thinking that it could it could stand to be a little bit softer. But if you're looking for the more engaging ride, again this has a performance package and you probably are um, that it, it suited the car very well. So where where does this fit for you in the world of EVs that are sixty thousand dollars? So this is my most difficult conversation to, to make. Um, there aren't a lot of vehicles at this, at this price point. Um, some people will compare it to a, a Tesla Model 3 and I think that the vehicle has a little bit more careful uh, attention to quality and details. For example, um, the interior is all made up of like this vegan, like certified vegan um, uh, materials, which is pretty cool. And it's called weave tech, uh, and all of the interior is built up of these recyclable materials include or recycled materials, uh including like carpeting, which is made entirely from recycled water bottles, which sounds to me like the loudest thing they could make carpeting out of, right like I, I think was Ford
1: be- was making seats out of recycled water bottles over the last few years, too
0: <laughs> yeah, that's crunch, 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 crunch like can you imagine i think um, I think that
1: recycling is maybe a concept you don't fully grasp. <laughs>
0: Me, of course. No, I was just joking. And even the wood trim they used um what is the word I'm looking for? It's um
1: recycled pianos.
0: No, reconstructed wood uh decor. So basically they like find some some wood that wouldn't be used normally in a in a um in a in an interior and they'll mash it all up together and make it um, pretty we what
1: cool. are we going to get a deconstructed wood interior you know you go to like a restaurant and they're like here's a yes. deconstructed chocolate cake and it's like syrup and flour and like so uh
0: chocolate chunks you would see a seed, you would see soil and you would splinters see water, so many splinters and, and just like light like at what like it's the spectrum of the life of a of a of a plant yeah yeah
1: and it takes a thousand years to see the entire cycle cuz it's a redwood deconstructed Actually, redwood interior
0: there used to be a concept. I think it's a Peugeot. It was made out of like – it used like this copper on the exterior of it that would like age essentially with the vehicle um, so that like once it started out looking this gorgeous metallic brown and then as it like kind of gets older and rusty, it kind of like goes green I guess, which doesn't sound that attractive. That's what some.
1: everyone wants. I mean
0: yeah. – <laughs> um, Where else am I talking? Oh, yeah. You want to know where this car fits in sort of the the hierarchy of – um. Of EVs, I'm I'm hesitant to call, this a, to call this a Tesla killer. I think Tesla has enough fans, um, a lot enough people who are on board with the brand of Tesla, to say that Tesla, it's not going anywhere. Volvo is for the people. The, uh, sorry, not Volvo. The Polestar Two is for those people who are looking for a little bit more uh, careful attention to detail, um, a, a car that is built by somebody or by an automaker that knows how to build cars and it's been doing it for a long time with an emphasis on safety this thing has all of the safety gear that you r- remember volvo is known for in fact the seatbelts say like have the original year of when the seatbelt patent was opened up to everybody which i thought was very interesting um and uh, additionally there's like It's not that minimalist cabin that you see in a a Model 3 that everything has to be controlled through that touchscreen. There are redundant buttons. There are useful buttons. The car feels a little bit more ergonomic and easier to use in that regard as well. So
1: aside from Tesla, I mean, what's at the $60,000 mark that this thing is going up against that is an EV?
0: I need to check the pricing because sometimes these prices change uh, dramatically because I think the Audi e-tron would be somewhere in that – in that conversation, which is okay. a crossover, yes, and as well as the Mercedes EQC, which is also a crossover. So, what does this thing compete with? And again, I don't know. How, like this is, a, I guess, it's a crossover, man. Like I don't know how else to say it. it, okay. it, it is kind of a crossover. Um, it's this own. It's this own thing. Um, but a real SUV is coming out soon. I think that's what Polestar is really trying to do. They're trying to show momentum. They're trying to show sort of progress. They had that Polestar 1 to show that they have resources. They have this Polestar 2 to to show that they can make a mainstream vehicle. They're going to make this Polestar 3, which will be an SUV for the people who are looking for um, the the more mainstream vehicle.
1: Do you think people should wait for Polestar 12, or do you think it's time to jump on now?
0: Yeah, I I really don't understand what's going to happen once these vehicles – will they replace the Polestar 2?
1: No, it'll be 2.1, 2.2.
0: Yeah, maybe. uh, Point releases, right? Exactly, like Scion used to do. (laughs) And and again, that interior, that infotainment system may prove to be a very important thing going forward. The fact is that Android has been modified for an automotive purpose, and this might be farmed out for other um, automakers to use, and it might become a staple going forward, just like I mentioned with, like, tablets or smartphones. You know, there can be one for everybody.
1: So So, is there yeah. any anything else, that, any final thoughts you have on this vehicle?
0: Um, no, I think that's it. I, I do think it's interesting to see an automaker um, enter the space with a new brand, a new identity. I'm eager to see if they can hold on to this, if they can really carve this out for themselves. When somebody looks at it and says, that's a Polestar, not that's a, um, that's a Volvo subsidiary or something like that. So it, it's important that they make themselves feel like their own thing, not just a Tesla wannabe, not a spinoff of Volvo, but their own product.
1: I think that's going to be extremely difficult because it's even impo- it seems impossible. Even I like have almost no conception of what Polestar really means outside the context of Volvo.
0: Exactly. And that's what the biggest uh, difficulty going forward for, for them will be. Um, so I think we also have one more uh, vehicle to talk about. And that's that I'm, I'm throwing it on over to you because I think this is the most exciting vehicle we have on the podcast this week.
1: So, yeah, I spent a considerable amount of time behind the wheel of the 2020 Aston Martin DB11 V8, Sammy.
0: Okay, a V8. Yeah, so there's – yeah,
1: last year, I think it was around December or November, I drove the Vantage V8, which is a, a somewhat newer model. Uh, but the the DB11 is a larger car. It's more expensive. starts around $200,000. And it's the Grand Touring version, uh, Grand, the Grand Touring sports car that you can buy right now from Aston Martin. And there's two versions, as you mentioned. Um, there's the V8, which I drove, and there's the V12. And what's kind of interesting is that the two vehicles, there's a, a reasonable horsepower difference between them. Um, the v 8s around 500 horsepower. And I think the V12, I can't remember exactly, but there's a decent gap. Like you you get a a bunch more power because both of these engines are twin turbo. But because the V8 is so much lighter, and because they're able to I think there's almost a 200 pound difference between the two cars because it, ha- it can have lighter suspension, softer bushings that kind of thing, smaller brakes and all that um, you, you end up with a zero to 60 that's almost identical right right around the four second range. So
0: the it's actually a pretty it's 630 horsepower in that v12. so it's
1: a 130 horsepower difference but almost no performance difference. That's wild. And and further to that, when I say almost no performance difference, I mean in a straight line, because with that weight gone from the front of the car, it actually handles... I, I have not had a chance to drive the V12, but I've spoken to people who have, and the handling in the V8 is somewhat more um, precise, because the front end is, is just a little bit more unloaded. So, it's interesting that Aston Martin has created this coupe with these two very different experiences. I think the price difference between the two base price is like $17,000. So, that's not a huge amount of money if you're already spending 200 grand so it kind of becomes preference at that point like which of these cars do you want and why um right the v8 is also interesting sammy because it's not designed by aston martin
0: i know this one i know this i know this tidbit this this thing it's made in germany by our good friends at Mercedes AMG, right? Yeah, it's
1: it's made by them, it's modified by, so Aston Martin has a plant, I can't remember if they build the the DB11 in Germany, but they they have a plant there as well uh, and they take the motor from AMG and they make uh, intake, exhaust uh, modifications, they change the fuel map a, a few other things to give it kind of its own unique feel and to definitely change the sound. Um, where you're going to notice this is the, the 4 liter V8 twin turbo the most famously found in the AMG GT and yeah. it does sound quite a bit different than the AMG GT it's not nearly as aggressive it's kind of a more a throatier sound whereas the GT is kind of a uh, I don't I don't know how I would describe it kind of like a howling bi- roar kind yeah of thing, right yeah so it's uh, it's sufficiently personality wise different, but the motor is fantastic. Like this this car, it's it's not a focused sports car, but it's a very very quick car. I mean, it's it's highway top speed I think is 187 miles an hour, uh, and on your way there, it feels completely stable and planted at all times. It's really a I, I hesitate to use the word adrenaline free experience because the the, the sentiment i'm trying to get across is just how competent the car feels it's not the kind of car where you take it on a a two-lane road and you drive it aggressively and you kind of feel like you're hanging on by the seat of your pants if you were to drive this car quickly on a two-lane road as i had the opportunity to do um it just feels like another day at the office it's it's a car that's going to get you where you're going very very quickly and it's not going to scare you in the process
0: um, this is an important uh, – I think this is a very important product to talk about. Uh, I, I know that it probably doesn't sound like it because it's a super niche kind of like uh, high-end luxury premium sports car. But I feel like products like this are are not coming out as much as I, I want them to be. I, I feel like vehicles like this are, are falling away. In fact, Aston Martin is even suggesting that they're going to be building um, – they have the DBX, right? Like the, it's, it's I'm just scared of this kind of – this body style, this product. I want there to still be enthusiasm in the segment and even for people who don't want a hardcore, a hardcore sports car should be able to have something that's fun and yet just just something just right about it. Like, cool. Cool.
1: It's also very exclusive. I mean, the price tag means you're not going to see very many of these on the road. And the the association between Aston Martin and the James Bond franchise has done wonders for the image of the brand. So you're always going to get – you get a a crazy – the the vehicle I had was painted bright yellow. So Mm. it was just reaction city no matter where I went. People wanted to talk to me about the car. People always noticed it. And that's a very different experience from, say, a Porsche 911 Turbo, which is probably a lot faster and in roughly the same price range for a Turbo S. Right. Uh, it's it's also different than, say, a Mercedes – or sorry, um, obviously it's different than the AMG GT, which is a car that doesn't even enter into the, the same conversation. Uh, but uh, it's just
0: not understated. The AMG GT just makes a, a statement – not just a statement. It, like – it is insane. Like it it's
1: never, also, I'd also quali-
0: hard to miss.
1: Right? I'd also qualify that as a, as a sports car. I mean, they, they make a okay. track version yeah. of it. For the DB11, it's not the case. This is more like you know a BMW 8 Series, uh, the, the 8 Series Coupe, but with far more personality in terms of styling. So right. yeah, it's it's that kind of customer. It's if the eight series coupe is not enough for you, if it doesn't feel exclusive enough, if it doesn't feel special enough, then you can get the Aston Martin DB11. And I think it's really cool that they offer it in these two different versions because uh, the, the the V12, it, you know, it's a big part of Aston Martin's history. It's something that's essential to the character of the brand. But if you want to do volume and you want to have two engines for, you know, perhaps uh, regulatory reasons in other markets where a large displacement V12 is not the best idea, having this amg source V8 is a great is a great uh, concept.
0: So one more thing to talk about this. Some people might be listening to me like, how can an 8-series not be enough? But I think that's very possible. It's very plausible. Uh, even an M8, when you're driving one of these things and you realize that it uses um, some of the shared... Um, components and, and buttons that you'd find in a in another BMW. If you've been in an X5 or an X7 or something like that, you'll see like the same looking switchgear and in, interior. It just won't feel that special sometimes. So you'll look at this and and it, it doesn't look like anything else on the market.
1: And it's also a very different dealership experience too. I mean, if right. you walk into an Aston Martin dealership, you're not going to see a three series. You know, you're not going to, it it sounds
0: that like a a, a basic BMW should make you recoil and run out of, no, but
1: it's, it sounds very elitist to say, but if you're spending $200,000 on a car, you want to have a $200,000 dealership experience. And typically if an Aston Martin dealer is sharing space with another brand, it's going to be something like Bentley or Rolls Royce. So you're going to have, um, I guess a different approach from the dealership to taking care of whatever you need to get taken care of. And that's important to some people.
0: Um, I wanted to. I, I'm not sure if this is the the case, but um, when, when I went to the AMG factory where they hand built these um, these motors, I remember when somebody asked about the the Pagani motors because the uh, the Pagani Huayra also uses uh, an AMG power plant. And they say that these motors are put are made on a different floor of the factory. They, they're separated from the normal Mercedes-AMG engines, and they're made somewhere else, which I thought was very interesting. I wonder if the Aston Martin uh, motors as well are given this, like, we're different, we're separate, um, like, uh, treatment.
1: I'm not sure, but, I mean, Aston <laughs> Martin does make enough modifications of their
0: own later on, so I'm not it sure if be. that would be necessary. But from what I understand... Uh, Aston Martin is going to be moving away from Mercedes-AMG um, V8s, and that has a lot to do with the, the electrification um, focus that's going on at AMGs. Well, at AMG. it's, it's,
1: it's hard to say what's going to happen. Uh, they had made a statement earlier, Andy, former CEO Andy Palmer made a statement earlier this year that they were going to be developing an in-house hybrid V6, and that was going to be the future for Aston Martin. And then like two months later, he was relieved of his job. So the and new
0: and you don't think those two things are related?
1: To oh, you. it gets it gets more. It, there's more to it, Sammy. The person who took over from Tob- Tobias Moore was the former head of AMG. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. That's
0: interesting. <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't really know if they're going to be walking away from that um, that situation. The thing that they had quoted as saying why they were going to end the deal is because AMG was talking about not building V8s anymore. And they didn't want a turbo four-cylinder in Aston Martin. It was not really in fitting with what customers were expecting from the company. So right. um, I, I think Aston Martin has had a very tough five years <laughs> in terms of profitability and market stability. And they were just purchased by Lawrence Stroll and, or a group of, of business people were led by Lawrence Stroll. They're about to have their own F1 team. Uh, their the racing point going to become aston martin racing their their primary sponsor so it, there's a lot of turmoil going on it'll be interesting to see what the next few years yields um the the thing the other things you know a car like the db eleven in a lot of ways i talked about how how attention grabbing it is and how quick it is, but it's also understated in the way that it drives. You could drive it all day long and get out at the end of the day and feel completely comfortable and refreshed, which is not the case necessarily in a lot of high-end sports cars or grand touring cars. Some of them just try a little bit too hard to be hardcore. And even on its hardcore settings for the suspension or the, the engine, there's three different settings. There's a grand touring, sport, and sport plus. It's really not that bone shaking. Uh, it's not a focused sports car. And I, I like that Aston Martin, they offer these different these different variations within its um, lineup to appeal to different buyers instead of just, you know, saying, okay, this car could be everything and here's another car a different size that can also be everything. So pick which right. one you want. You know, it's, it's a nice philosophy to have from a luxury brand.
0: I want you to talk about that, um, that feeling of getting out or, or driving the vehicle all day and getting out and feeling, fine like you haven't been beat up or you haven't been cramped or something like that how is it that they can accomplish this with a capable vehicle as well because most of the time um these really capable vehicles end up being super stiff really uncomfortable and like it almost feels like the passenger or the driver was the last thing they thought about um and therefore they're just this slab of meat behind the behind the wheel and they're like yeah they can squish in there and deal with the ergonomics of having to sort of you know how they operate the car well like how i was does just after martin pull it off
1: well they just don't try to be anything other than they are it's not a car that tries to be anything more than a grand touring car it's not a car that ever expects you'll be going to a racetrack you know it's just that's not baked into the the dna of the vehicle and it has a back seat too so i mean you would never want to sit there but you can put gear back there or a, or a day bag or i put my cameras back there when i was driving I, I did spend the whole day on some mountain roads to the north of montreal and um it was a great experience you know and um that's that's a rare thing in a car that yeah, has 500 horsepower and two doors. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, I love that. I, I really do. That's what I mean. Is I really like the idea of having a fast vehicle that is not a hardcore spine-busting, um, don't, like, if you mess this up, it'll send you off a cliff sort of experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's, that's important that we have those kind of products um, still available. Um, I think that's it for this week's episode. I'm, I think you're I'm, right. What is the segment? The segment is now called uh, Sammy and Ben try to close up the podcast. I think um, it's just called the outro. I mean, the <laughs> outro, the conclusion. So I, I, I don't know. I've been listening to so many more podcasts, and they've got segments. And uh, I'm like, we don't have segments, do we? Ben, do we have segments? 195
1: episodes later and you're worried about segments?
0: Yeah, that's it. Um, Anyways, if uh, you want to get in touch with us, you can do that very easily by heading on to our website. It's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. When you're there, there's a contact form. You can fill that out and it lands in our inbox. It's super easy. It's uh, very smooth. And... um, there are other ways to get in touch with us, too. You can reach out to us on social media. Ben is on Instagram. He is at HuntingBenjamin. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And, and on, on
1: our on our website, uh, you can also find ways to subscribe. Did you mention that, Sammy?
0: No, I didn't. You should do this.
1: We have all sorts of ways you can subscribe. There's tons of little buttons on the website that will take you to your favorite podcatcher. Or you can you know go on iTunes. You can go on Spotify. You can go on... Google Play Music, is that still a thing? You can go on YouTube, you can go on Amazon. Did I say Amazon? No,
0: but we're on Amazon now. We're on
1: Amazon now, yeah, that's a new one. So uh, all this stuff, we're out there. Search Unnamed Automotive Podcast and you will find us. So greetings to everyone who's listening to us for the first time from Amazon. We're we're happy to have you. And uh, we hope that uh, you do get in touch with us because it makes our day.
0: And uh, next week, I will be driving um, some hybrids, uh, the Camry Hybrid in particular and the Accord Hybrid. But I'll also be having some more electric vehicles, the Kia Soul EV and the Chevrolet Bolt. So uh, lots to talk about if you like electric, electrified vehicles. Ben, what are you driving?
1: I'm going to be talking about the Chevrolet Silverado Trail Boss, which has Ooh. the high-performance package and the 6.2-liter engine.
0: Excellent. We've got content for everybody. <laughs> so thank you for listening, and I can't wait to talk to you next week.
1: Bye-bye, everybody.
0: Bye.